Hello and welcome to the Faith and Family Matters podcast, where we talk about issues that strengthen our faith and build stronger family connections. Please join us for today's podcast with our host, William Hemphill II, Pastoral Counselor. Hello, this is William Hemphill, professional counselor with today's podcast. Today I'm pleased to have my wife Cheryl here again with me. Uh, we did a broadcast or podcast about a week or so ago called Being Married During the Coronavirus. And we, of course, talked about some of the things that we have been doing in our marriage. But one of the things that I have noticed in my counseling practice is that there are some people who aren't as fortunate to be in the position that we're in. Because of the pandemic, there are people who can't stand each other who are presently living together. Some may have been on their way to divorce, splitting up, or different things like that, and now they are stuck at home. So... Today's podcast is a little bit about, I'll say, call it living with someone that you, whom you can't stand, living with someone whom you can't stand. As I said, me and my wife, we can't totally relate to that, but I imagine that there are some times where we did not get too long, get along too well. Is that right, dear? First of all, thank you, William, for inviting me back to speak to your audience again. Hello, faith and family uh, listeners out there. And a thousand times, yes, there were times when you and I had disagreements and we needed space from each other. We did not want to be in the same room with each other. I can't imagine that because I'm such a wonderful person. I I can't even imagine. How could you not relate to me? Next question. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, there are some times. um, I'm thinking of one in particular. uh, It was a time, actually, we were on vacation. This was back when I was in school. And it was on vacation after a conference. And so we went to the beach. And we were going to hang out on the beach. I was going to spend part of that time studying for school because I was in school. And part of that time on vacation together. And I can't remember the exact discussion that we got in, but at some point, maybe I became a little animated, I'll say. Uh, Or, as you like to say, I yelled. I can't remember if I did or I didn't yell. But all I remember from that is a two-day silence while we were on the beach. And so we're in this beautiful place on the beach, but it was tense and we weren't speaking to each other. I think I remember several times in the midst of that asking you what was wrong and you would say nothing. And at first I was saying, okay, nothing's wrong. Why can't we talk? But then you'd say nothing, 
But then, at least in my opinion, your body language stated that there was something going on. I don't remember that particular instance, but I can imagine that it happened. Um, One of the things that I've learned for myself when I'm usually upset or someone offends me, I tend to withdraw and process it in my mind and I think about it. So the fact that you, I felt that you yelled at me without any warrant, any reason, I most likely would have been silent or given you the silent treatment as it's called because I'm thinking about why is he mad? Why is he upset? Why, why, why I didn't do anything to deserve this? And I take my time to process before I'm ready to speak. One, and and my normal way would, I would wait until you would come to me. Um, one of the things that I learned growing up and even maturing is that that's not the best way. While I do need time to process, when you ask me if there's something wrong, eventually I learned to say, yes, but I don't want to talk about it now. I need time to process. And that actually helped us. Okay. Uh, We can come, I want to come back to that in a moment. But why I brought up that example Because many couples go through times where they have conflict. And I would say what I've observed, at least counseling couples and stuff like that, what normally happens is people are unable to resolve their conflicts. They do something, like you said earlier, the silent treatment. Nothing's wrong with me. You keep someone in time out for two, three, four, five, seven days, or whatever it might be. We have these behaviors that we do that I feel like hinder or hurt our relationships instead of helping our relationships. I would agree with you. Uh, by me saying nothing is wrong and there was actually something wrong, it did hurt our relationship. It hindered it from growing, going forward. It hindered me from addressing my hurt, my concern. It hindered um, us from healing from that offense. Yeah, I would say that is definitely so true in that. One of the things as I was looking at this and thinking about this, and you already started along this path when we were talking about conflict, you said that one of the things that you did when I did do an offensive action, whatever it might be, is to give me the silent treatment and say that nothing was wrong when something was wrong. So... When you said that, here's the effect it kind of had on me. It used to make me think, for lack of a better term, a little crazy or something like that, confused. Because especially if I felt like I might have done something wrong, I might come to you and say, is there anything wrong? Or maybe be ready to apologize or something like that. And you'd be like, oh, nothing's wrong. And then I'd be like, huh. 
if there's nothing wrong, how come she won't talk to me? How come she won't do this? How come she won't do that? Now, one of the things I like, and I'll ask you to expound on this more, and maybe a little bit how you got to this point, is you said at some point you learned to say something to the effect, not nothing, but something about you need your space. You talked about how you process right. or different things mm-hmm. like that. Tell us a little more about that. So one, I'll take a step back. One of the reasons why I would say um, nothing's wrong. First of all, I didn't really know how to express my feelings and what my hurt was in a constructive manner. Number two, there were probably times when I was like, you should know what's wrong. Don't pretend like you don't know what just happened a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago. You should know that you hurt me. And um, I would say that's where a lot of my my deficit in communication came from. Um, number one, trying to figure out how to navigate, navigate through this and what to say. And also me making an assumption that you really understood what you did to me that caused me this hurt or pain. I cannot tell you the specific instance that happened or incident that happened when I realized, okay, let me talk about it. Let me open up. Let me express. I would think that it probably... Um, evolved to that because as we lived in this marriage and experienced hurt and pain, there began to be a comfort level where we started communicating differently. And it was, I found the way to say, you hurt me by doing this. Or I need time to really process what's going on. Let me take a step back so I just don't blurt out anything that may cause harm in our relationship. Okay. And so I do like the fact that you did talk about those particular things. Now, one of the things to keep in mind as we're listening, my wife and I have been married almost 25 years, so understand that this has been a process of time and us learning how to communicate better during these times and situations. Yes, definitely. Now, one of the things that I'd add, and I'm so glad you said this, is because you talked about you should know what you did wrong. I will admit that I'm a man. And as a man, sometimes we are dense, which simply means We don't always know what we did. We're not always aware. That happens on both sides. And so part of what I'm getting at with this is we have to, in our marriage relationship, learn to speak our voices. In a sense, letting our spouses know what is right and letting them know what is wrong. Because we don't always know. And one of the most dangerous things we make in communication is we make assumptions. And assumptions get us in trouble. 
one of the things I know that you have done with me over the years, and that's starting to help me become more aware, is a lot of times when I do quote unquote yell, I am not always aware of it because I do have a big voice and sometimes it gets amplified. You have let me know over the years, and as we mature, you say, okay, dear, you're kind of loud right now. And what I have learned also is instead of becoming defensive in that, saying, okay, maybe I am doing that in the moment, and so I should learn or at least observe how to walk with that. And so that was an example, probably some of the things that you talked about being silent and different things like that. Now, just to let you know, my wife's husband's also been guilty of a few things over the years, too. You know, we get into conflicts. Why are you looking at me like that? It's all with love, dear. All, all with love. Love in my does, eyes. Does that shock you that your husband would be guilty of some things? Of course it would. Oh, okay. Not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Part of the things, or one of the things I know I have been guilty of is getting upset, driving off and saying nothing, or getting angry, or I'm upset about something and I just happen to be yelling. Um, could you talk about what kind of effect that has on you when I do that type of behavior? Right. So there were times that we talked and we've learned that when we have disagreements, we have arguments, that we process them differently. And before we started, and again, like you said, this has been a 25-year uh, journey, well, almost that we've been married, but we were engaged over a year. So it's been a process of learning each other, learning how we process stress, good news, bad news, disappointment, anger, and things of that nature. One of the things that I learned about you is when you get upset and frustrated, you either want to walk or get in the car and drive around the perimeter. So... In the early days when you did this, I had no idea. So after uh, a while, I was like, okay, when you come back home and we talk, it was like, okay, what was that all about? Why did you leave without saying anything? Well, and you would say, well, I needed to get away. One thing that I learned is like, it's okay. And it became okay with me. I said, I'm okay with you walking or getting in the car and going for a drive and me gone for an hour and come back or two hours and come back all I ask for you is that you send me a text and say hey I'm upset I'm going for a drive be back I'm fine but the times when this happened before we came to this agreement I'm thinking where is he is he driving too fast has he been in a car accident has he hurt himself you know, if I call and you didn't answer the phone, it's like, what the heck is going on? So all these crazy things go through your mind and on one end, but the other person's not even realizing that, okay, by me not saying I'm going here, I'm going on a ride, I just need to get blow off some steam, the amount of anxiety and the unknown that's put on the other person. I remember... One time when I had to 
um, I don't know what we got upset about. And I decided to get in the car and drive. And I remember you calling me. And I looked at the phone and I debated, should I answer the phone or not? Or should I let him suffer wondering where I am, if I'm going to talk to him, am I mad at him? So I was like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Of course, you know, you have the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other one. The devil almost won. But I ended up answering the phone. But, you know, when I answered the phone, I was not my happy, cheerful self. I was like, yes. Very (laughs) short. And and don't make height jokes. But I was very (laughs) short. And as a matter of fact, when I answered the phone... And he was like, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. I know you need to drive. I, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. I was like, I'm fine. And that was it. So while I did want you to suffer and experience what it's like, in the end, I thought, you know what? I didn't like it when it happened to me. So let me answer the phone, even though I'm not going to be the pleasant open, lovely, bubbly person that uh, I normally am. Okay. All right. So let's explore this for a moment. Uh, A couple things I want us to pay attention to. First of all, notice the effect that my behavior had on her. In other words, when I just took off and drove Now, I didn't need to, whatever the conflict was at that particular time, it's happened several times over the years, I did it to release some steam, calm down, do whatever I needed to do. So I took off and drove. But because I didn't let her know, she was worried, she was frustrated, and she was anxious. And the reason why I want to emphasize that as a point is because When we are married or together with people, our behaviors and our actions have effects on other people. And also, if we care about that other person, we should care about the impact that we have on them. Now, I'll be honest, we didn't, I didn't know about this until we had a discussion at a calmer time about this. And that might be what you have to do. But it was important for me to consider. So the next time, I don't want her worried. I just want to release some steam. So then after that, I can say, you know what? I'm going out. Talk to you later. Gone. And then she knows I'm releasing steam. So then let me also approach the second part of this, which is kind of fascinating, but it also goes into how we can easily relate as couples and do different things like that. So she left one time. The phone rang. It was me. She thought about giving me a little bit of vengeance by not answering anything. Here's the crazy thing. In my instance, because I'm used to that, I just would assume, okay, she's mad at me. I'll talk to her later. It wouldn't have even accomplished that purpose. If she wanted me to be hurt, I just would have been soon. She's upset and kept going. Not, I say that to say that is when we start to try to hurt each other, many times we only make our situations worse and worse for ourselves. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is this. I don't know about anybody out there, and I'll let you answer this. I don't want to be married to someone that I want to intentionally try to hurt or they want to intentionally try to hurt me. I don't think people want to be in that type of relationship. I think what happens is that we have this self-preservation mode, this protection mode, that when we are hurt, we try to strike back at the person that has hurt us. And when you give your heart to someone and you're in a relationship and you love that person, if that person hurts you, the cut tends to be deeper. And to for that person to realize the level of hurt... It's not like if they hurt you, it's the same as a knife wound that you can visibly see. A lot of that hurt is internal. And it's not like you can open up your chest and see your heart and your, show your heart and emotions where your uh, spouse has um, hurt you or damaged you. So uh, that, let me get you back, let me hurt you, let me show you what it feels like is more of a disappointment that we're supposed to be in this together and you've hurt me to a level that I didn't think you would hurt me. And I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to stop the the hemorrhaging. How do I do this other than striking back at you? Yeah. And so that's important to understand because sometimes we hurt people unintentionally. Like even going back to the situation about yelling, I I think if I recall that situation, I don't think I yelled at you intentionally. I probably was just animated about something, but it was still the effect that it had on you. And one of the things that has happened with us as maturity is we've learned enough about each other to ask each other questions when stuff like that happens. Like now you'd be like, are you where you're yelling? Or what are you upset about? Because I know I didn't do anything to you at that moment. And it would cause me to reflect. And maybe I'm upset about work and I'm taking something out on her. Or maybe I've gotten in an argument with somebody else and I'm taking it out on, on my wife, which isn't fair to my wife. And so part of that is learning how to be honest with each other. And so, again, we're having this discussion more so because when we do these things, we can easily change a house from being with someone we love to being with someone we hate because we have unintentionally and in some cases intentionally hurt one another over the years and we have not learned how to forgive, how to examine, how to explore, and how to work on things so we can communicate better and get what we want. One of the things that I often, when I work with my clients, individual and married couples, is I talk to them about stating what you actually want without making assumptions. Because we make those assumptions and we get ourselves in trouble. So 
There's some interesting things that I did put down here that I'll call them tips on how to deal with conflict. And I'll say a tip and then we can just talk about it. How does that work? Sure. Okay. So the first tip I have down there is understand that we love one another. Now, I'll start by saying for me, that's a big thing to understand. Because it allows me to realize that even if my wife hurts me, I don't think that's her intent. And when someone unintentionally hurts you versus intentionally hurts you, your mindset's a little different, or at least mine is. So I like to say, understand that we love one another. Right. And I would agree with you. And I would also say in a relationship, you will unintentionally and intentionally hurt each other. But what you've got to do in those instances is being willing to uh, acknowledge the hurt that you caused and being willing to forgive. That Those are the two big lessons I would take from that because you are going to hurt each other intentionally and unintentionally. And you've got to be willing to, when you've caused the offense, to come to your spouse and say, hey, I am so sorry. Yeah, I did this. I did this because I was feeling this way. Or I feel that you did this to me and I was striking back. Um, And be willing to forgive. Sometimes you may have to even, the offended party may have to say, you know what? I forgive you for this because I know the type of person you are and you, you make mistakes just like we do like everyone else, and uh, be willing to take that first step to offer that olive branch of reconciliation. Okay. So that's one thought, understanding that we love one another. Number two, and I'd say this, and this is important, thinking. Could Ask yourself the question, could there be a little bit of truth in what my partner is saying? So going back to the example, because I've done it a lot, you know, sometimes I may say something and I'm animated. And my wife goes, "Uh, William, you're yelling right now. My previous reaction was always, I'm not yelling at you. What are you talking about? I'm not yelling. And that could create some attention, some tension. Now, at least most of the time, I kind of think, okay. It's not my intention to yell. Maybe my voice is a little animated. That's the first thing. Second thing, if it is my intention to yell, I'll just be honest and say, yeah, I'm yelling because I'm ticked off right now. And at least we know. A lot of times we get defensive. And when we get defensive, we start thinking about ways we can defend ourselves or attack back, or deny, not realizing that oftentimes the argument or whatever it is, is an event that has happened that is being seen through two different eyes, and it's possible that both of us could have some part of the truth. I I have to laugh because you talk about the event being seen between two different eyes and having a different view. 
One of the things that we had this conflict over was <clears throat> my husband's, in my opinion, lack of looking for things. It would bug me to no end when I he was like, dear, where's this? And I was like, it's in the cabinet or it's in the refrigerator. And he'll go there and he'll like, I don't see it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting on my last nerve. And I go right to the cabinet, right to the refrigerator, pull it out and give it to him. So it was, <laughs> it was not until a few years ago that the light bulb came on. He made this statement because there's a, <laughs> there's a disparity <laughs> between our heights. My wife is short. <laughs> <laughs> our field of vision is totally different when I'm looking at things straight on. Now, I will say this. Women still tend to look more thoroughly than men. I'm not going to totally let him off the hook. But what I did learn through his vision and through his scope, it's 13 inches higher than my field of vision and my scope. So if things are on the bottom shelf in the refrigerator, I can tend to see them better without having to get on my knees where he is like maybe the third shelf of the refrigerator is the equal to the bottom based on his height. So I did have to learn that, you know what? We both are looking at this. We're both seeing two different things, but both of us are seeing what we actually see. So it's not that he's missing it. It's just how he's looking at it. By the way, I actually have to get on the floor to see something on the bottom shelf. Not on my knees. I have to lay down on the floor to see something on the bottom shelf, by the way. But it's funny that you mentioned that, but it does go back, not just in a physical perspective, but in life experience. Sometimes we see things differently. And so when an event does happen or an argument, you have two differing perspectives. But one of the things that can help us in dealing with conflict is thinking, how can my spouse see something that way? Is there a little bit of truth in that statement? Yeah. So the third thing I'd say, and we kind of talked about this. We did this involuntarily without explaining what it is. I like to say take timeouts when it gets crazy. So I like to put it like this. When you get to the point that you're feeling real steamed and you're about to cuss your spouse out or call them some type of name or you're ready to throw some or whatever it might be, take a break. I like to say use the timeout signal to refs give. Take the timeout. Because something is actually going on in us biologically and we're getting heated to the point that we are unable to think straight. And when we're unable to think straight, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And so even though my wife gave me the silent treatment at one point, and even though I was driving around the perimeter at another point, we were taking timeouts. The problem with what we did was, first of all, we didn't know we were taking timeouts. We were just being quiet or doing whatever we were doing. The second thing that was wrong with what we did was there wasn't an agreed about time to come back together. 
So in the instance of when we were on the beach and she was silent for two days, it started to create more animosity because in my case, I didn't know when the iceberg was going to thaw enough that we could have a conversation. That's where we get in trouble because I've seen it when counseling couples is when it starts taking two, three, four days, the person who may have done something wrong might say, oh, forget it. We're just going to stay ice cold because I'm not pursuing you anymore, which creates a bigger barrier. So taking timeouts, I know most psychologists and different folks recommend 30 minutes to no more than a day in order to calm down, but then come back and deal with the issue. Right. I totally agree. And that has really helped us that we're, that we evolved to the state where we're okay that we take a break, that the other person needs time to process the incident or event in their own way. And we come back and discuss it. It's more productive that way. And I like to say, remember, the spouse isn't the enemy. It's the situation that's the, not even the enemy, but the thing you have to work through. Which brings me to the next point here. I think this is number four. Try to solve the problem, not win the argument. A lot of couples that I have worked with, I've noticed where the trouble comes is when somebody's decided, I've got to win the argument. And many times we do anything to win the argument, including invalidate our spouse. And that does nothing, A, to solve the problem, but B, that also hurts our relationship with our spouse. You might win the argument, but while you're winning the argument, you're losing the marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and one of the things that we try to have as a goal is understanding each other and bringing resolution to the situation, not me being right. I'm winning. You're losing. I was right the whole time. You should have listened to me because we've learned over time that doesn't give us what we are looking for, which is that connection in our relationship where it's stronger, where we enjoy spending time with each other, where we enjoy holding hands, where we enjoy having shared experiences together. Trying to win at all costs, trying to keep score, it doesn't help the relationship. It probably helps you internally in your mind uh, validate <clears throat> this ego or person that you have uh, created inside, but it really doesn't help you as a person and your relationship. So yeah, I definitely say focus on trying to work through the issue, not winning the argument, because you can win the argument and lose the marriage. And my opinion, at least, if you win the argument but lose the marriage, you've lost the most important thing. So that one. And then I would say the final one, and this is just a bit of wisdom that I've heard from many older couples or men and women and different things. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. Not everything is worth fighting over. 
You know, if I like chocolate ice cream and my wife likes strawberry ice cream, we ain't got to fight over what ice cream we get in the house. Maybe it's better just to get two things of ice cream. Then I can have the chocolate and she can have the strawberry. I'm thinking about something the other day that it might have been a slight disagreement with us. I don't think it was a real disagreement. So in the midst of the pandemic, you know, I think I may have said this on another show, our grown children, our college-age children are living in another location. And so my wife at some point wanted to buy a freezer for them so they could have food to be stored. I didn't necessarily want to get a freezer for them because I was like, number one, they're three grown children. Number two, they got two other grown people in the apartment with them. Number three, half the time they eating out anyway. But my wife, being the loving mother that she is, wanted to be sure that her children were taken care of. Now, we could have fought over that. Because I'll be honest, I still don't necessarily know if it was the right decision or not to do that. But for me, in the case, it was like, pick your battle. I know my wife well enough to know that she's going to do what she can do to care for her children, care for our children. And so even though I may have disagreed on that, where we eventually came to a certain point was saying, okay, how much are we going to pay for a storage unit for them to use something? I had to pick my battle. It wasn't worth me interrupting our peace and our time we had just to take care of that situation. Right. And um, there have been times when William has definitely wanted things. I was like, you know what? It's not even worth it. Let's just move on. You're Again, pick your battles. Yeah. There are some things, in other words, that mm-hmm. are important to discuss, to work on, and have disagreements on. And then there's some things that's like, at the end of the day, what does it really matter? So I would say, pick your battles. So as I'm going to get ready to close on this situation, I'm just thinking about this. If you are stuck in the house with someone right now, maybe you were about to break up, or get a divorce, but you're now stuck with someone that you can't stand, I would say you have two options. Number one is this. You can look at ways that you can begin to relate. In the midst of the podcast, you can take some of the suggestions and things that we've learned over the course of our marriage and start trying to practice them at least in this time, so you can learn how to relate a little bit better. Maybe finding some things you can agree on. How are you going to manage the house? How do you give each other space? How can you be respectful to each other while you're in this same place? Because at least that way, it can make life a little easier. So that's the first option. Option two is number this, is this. You can keep things 
doing things the way you are doing them. You can. It is your choice. But if you do, I guarantee you will be miserable. And here's the thing about it. I can't speak for anybody else, but I don't want to be miserable two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten weeks at a time. We don't know how long this is going to last. Right now, they're trying to open some things up. When they open some things up, maybe you have options to do things. But they might close them back up just as quickly. And you might still be stuck in the same house. So what kind of things can you do to relate to one another? Because a lot of the things that me and my wife, Cheryl, talked about, yes, there are things we use in marriage, but most of them are things that you use just in everyday communication with people that you respect. Any other thoughts you want to add to this? No, I agree with you. I think this is a perfect time to really examine your relationship. Think about those things that even brought you together. This is a time that we all can improve on our relationships, improve on us as um, individuals, and glean wisdom from wherever we can to um, better ourselves and our relationships. All right. So hopefully the goal is to better all of our relationships. And so hopefully some of the things that we talked about today can help you in your relationship. As I've said, it's a 25-year process, 25-year process, and we are still learning. But hopefully some of the tips we shared with you will help bless you. This is William Hemphill, professional counselor, thanking you for listening to the Faith and Family Matters podcast. We hope you have a good week. This is William Hemphill, pastoral counselor, and I thank you for listening to today's podcast. Just wanted to share a brief announcement with you. If you live in the state of Georgia, I am offering individual couples, and family counseling via phone or video, also known as telemental health. Again, if you're in the state of Georgia, I now offer counseling via phone or video for individuals, couples, and families. Please go to my website, www.williamhemphill.com. That's www.william. H-E-M-P-H-I-L-L dot com. There you will see a banner that drops down on the front page. My email address and my contact number is located. There's also a button that you can press where you can request an appointment with me. Again, that website is www.williamhemphill.com. You can also go to www.fefeonline.org. Thank you so much, and take care. Have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. 
We hope that the show has been a blessing to you. If you would like more information on personal counseling, couples counseling, adoptive family counseling, or other products and services, please go to ffeonline.org. For questions about the show, please email us at faithandfamilymatterspodcast at gmail.com. 